Hi everyone, welcome back to Unstaged. Today, we're taking a quick break from An Ideal Husband to share with you three new plays written by Michael Swain Smith, Thunderstorms, Pleading, and Brighter. These are beautiful plays that we had a great time reading and recording, and we hope you enjoy them as much as we do. Next week, we'll be back with more An Ideal Husband, so make sure you're subscribed and hear the rest of that play. I want to encourage all of our listeners to continue the fight against systemic racism. Last week, I posted a bunch of links in the description of the episode that can get you started on that journey. Go ahead and follow those and follow some new accounts on your podcast apps, on Instagram, on Facebook of Black people at the head of the movement so that you can stay informed and stay led in the right direction quick trigger warning. These plays include some instances of childhood and domestic sexual abuse and violence, so please be warned before you listen. With that said, please enjoy three new plays by Michael Swain Smith, Thunderstorms, Pleading, and Brighter. Okay, well, I'm Jenna Van Weldon, and I'm the host of Unstaged, and I am also going to be reading Stage Directions today. Hi, I'm Jamie Horn. Um, I'll be reading for Grace Johnson and Thunderstorms, and I'm currently in Columbus, Ohio. I am Michael Chen. I'm playing the pizza dude slash Gabe, and I'm currently in Los Angeles. Hi, my name is Shakoria Davis. Um, I'll be reading for the role of Mia. Um, Currently, I'm in Cincinnati. My name is Grace Hunt, and I play um, Rachel in Brighter, and I'm in Cleveland, Ohio. And I am Leslie Lannon, and I will be playing Mama in Brighter. Um, I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio, but right now I'm, I live in uh, Southeast Florida, in Fort Lauderdale, Miami area. I'm Michael Swain Smith. I wrote the plays, um, and I'm currently in Akron, Ohio. This is Thunderstorms by Michael Swain Smith. April 23rd, 11.57 p.m., Chicago, Illinois. It's raining really hard. A storm is coming, but also a pizza. A loft apartment. Kind of cute. Definitely lived in. We are in the living room. A couch, two side tables, a record player on the one closest to the door, and a coffee table with some popcorn, a candle, and a laptop on it, with Grace sitting legs crossed in front of it. Grace Johnson, a writer and a journalist, is working on her next report and waiting for her pizza to arrive at exactly 12 a.m. She's been inside all day just writing. We hear Mahler's greatest hits playing Symphony No. 5 for Adagietto in the background before the record stops and the lights come up. She gets up from the floor to replace the record. We catch her pulling the LP off the record player to put it back in its sleeve when thunder and lightning, then her doorbell. Grace looks up, then looks at the time. Reads 11.58. Fuck. Is this the pizza guy? I definitely said exactly 12 a.m. Yeah, it is. I know I'm kind of early, but I'm trying to get... I told you midnight exactly in the notes. Do you not want the extra money? Yeah, I do, but I'm also trying to get back before it's tomorrow to make a point. Now I really have to pee, and I was wondering if I could... You would be a good person and let me use Let you enter my home and murder me. What? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. I truly have to pee and it's raining really hard out here and your porch is small. There's barely an awning out here. Can't you go back to your car? 
and get more rain on your pizza? I mean, it has to be 12 a.m. already. I'm sure you're fine. The clock strikes 12 a.m. Grace notices. The power goes out for a moment. What's your date? What? What's your date? Technically, today, if it's... Oh, hell no. Today is in the 24th. April 24th. Look, I'm trying, I'm truly just trying to get home before I meet anyone. Is today your day? Why not cover your eyes so you don't see me? I'll give you the pizza for free. She covers her eyes with one hand and opens the door, holds out her free hand to take the pizza. First door to your left. Wow, you're pretty. Gives her the pizza and runs past her to the bathroom. Um, <laughs> thanks. Hurry up and please wash your hands. <laughs> okay, Mom. Grace returns to her work, now with her pizza. He's now talking to her from the bathroom. It's really nice in here. Don't steal anything. The lights and all electronics lose power for a second, then it returns. Wow. But have you been outside today? It's really bad out there. Everything's flooding and my car barely made it over here. It's truly a piece of shit. Can you stop talking to me while you're in my bathroom? Good he exits before she finishes her line. Good thing I'm not in there anymore. She's frightened by his voice as he finishes his line, not knowing or hearing that he left the bathroom moments ago. Shit, you scared me. My name's Gabe, by the way. Still covering her eyes, trying not to look at him. Nice to meet you. Thanks for the pizza. No problem. Thanks for the bathroom. What were you playing before you let me in? What? Uh, it sounded like you were playing a record, a vinyl. Oh, yeah, it's Mahler. I love his orchestrations. Symphony number two? No, number five. You know Mahler? <laughs> Not really. My father used to play for the Philharmonic. What? Yeah. I love how he can make things sound like the weather or like a setting, you know? Yeah, it's truly stunning. Right. Like you think all those instruments would become like a mess and kind of unorderly. Like a storm. Yeah, exactly like a storm or a mess, yeah. But like, when everything works out in the end, it's so crazy. Seems like it makes me like listening to Thunderstorm, so today's been fun. Seems like you've been missing the storm. Well, I haven't missed it, just been inside the whole time, doing my best to avoid this day at all cost. Why? I'm trying to beat the system. What? The, the dates on our wrists. Oh, I never heard them being called the system. No, no one calls them the system. The system is the government. The government set this whole thing up, and they just want us to find our soulmates faster to reproduce. It's, there's no other explanation. What about the gay couples or asexuals? They want them to adopt faster. I mean, like, why tell us what the date is at all? Why not just let it happen? What is the purpose behind finding our soulmates on these days? And why don't they tell us more details? I mean, like, why don't you tell us all the specifics? The day, the hour, the minutes, the seconds, the latitude and longitude, everything. 
why have us run around like chickens for a day trying to find the person we're going to spend the rest of our life with? Like, how do they know? How come they don't just give us their names? How do we know it's not our own doing because we work so hard to find our soulmate for 24 hours? That's why I stayed at home today. To prove it's all made up, to prove it's all a lie, and I did. I proved this whole thing to be a lie and a scam because it's past midnight and I met no one with my name date, with my same date. Let me see your wrist again just to check. See, April 24th, our dates don't match, so we're good. You're doing exactly what I'm trying to do, except I don't care about the details. I just want to see what happens. And uh, Wait, what time did you say it was again? Uh, 12.05. Fuck, I gotta go. Thanks for letting me use your bathroom. Uh, wait, what's your name again? It's Grace. Oh. Thanks, Grace. A loud crack of thunder and lightning. The lights go out. The candles allow some light. Fucking amazing. I'm gonna get out of here. Hope your power comes back on. Grace goes to grab her phone. She starts texting. She goes back to her computer and she gets a call moments later. Hello? Oh, hey. Yeah, my power's out too, but you know me. I always have a candle burning, so I'm not completely in the dark over here. Oh, wait, guess what? I did it. Oh, I know, I know, the whole freaking day. No one with the same date as me, and I got a free pizza. And man, the delivery guy was kind of cute. He wouldn't shut up, though. Tom girl, no, he probably just turned 18. <laughs> oh, hold on, please. She goes to the door. Hello? Hey, it's Gabe again. I left my car running and my battery died. Uh, can I come in and make a call? Let me call you back. Stay close to your phone, though. I might need you to call the police for me. <laughs> I love you. Yeah, I'll call you later. Bye. She opens the door. He enters and finds his way to the couch. <sighs> Thanks again. It's still really bad out there. Yeah. You need to make a call or something? I called AAA already, but my phone's about to die and I have to know where to charge it. I just want to be close to a phone just in case AAA comes for me. Comes for me. Uh, how long did they say? I truly don't know when they'll make it. They said since the power went out, they can't tell where their drivers are or something, at least on this side of town, and no one at my Papa John's is answering. <laughs> so they're racist and unreliable. <laughs> Papa John's? Oh, come on, that was one guy, and he stepped down. He has nothing to do with our branch. The CEO has nothing to do with your branch. Look, it's a job. And who are you to judge? You still order from them. It's the buttery garlic sauce. I can't stay away. It's the only reason we're still open. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, your day is tomorrow? Yep. But I'm going to try and do the same thing you did. But I already made a mistake or two. Uh-oh. Yeah, my best friend told me about one of those finder date matching apps, and even though his day is not for another two years, he found the girl who shares his day, and I'm pretty sure they're deep in love already. So I trusted him and got the app and found the girl who had the same date as mine like a month ago, but she's not the one. I just know it. So I'm going to hide in my house and try not to encounter anyone today, 
tomorrow, whatever, but just like you did. I wonder what's going to happen now that you didn't find your soulmate on the 23rd. Mm. Did they give you a new date? I actually don't know. I'm not going to go looking for answers either. Just... Look, I got to finish this draft before my computer dies since I can't charge it right now. So just make yourself comfy and shit, it died. The world is a weird way of stripping us from technology in times of desperate communication. You know what? I'm not even going to try it. Okay. Where are you from? Chicago. Born and raised. And you're in school? Uh, one more semester. You? I graduated early. Two years ago. At journalism. Currently the head writer at the Life Guide magazine. Probably not for long with no power. Damn. For real? Thank you. My mom has every issue. Want me to sign a copy for her? <laughs> and how old are you? How old are you? 23. Really? Well, I thought you were 18. I'm 25. <laughs> I look very youthful. I'm about to be 24 at the end of May. May 20th. I took a couple of gap years. Look, as long as you make it through. And you went to Northwestern. Yes, sir. You? Uh, transferred from Northwestern to the University of Chicago. Ah, oh, so you're pretty smart. If you say so. I'm surprised I haven't ever seen you in the area. Mm, Chicago's pretty big. But you want to grab some coffee when it looks a little better outside? Yeah, I'd be down. Can I give your number to AAA? What? I mean... I want your number, but my phone's about to die, and I need to make sure AAA can reach me. So, or is it okay if I give it to AAA to call? Oh, yeah, well, let me see your phone. Send it right before it died. Thank you. Um, maybe we can go viral by being the first people to break the system. Mm, now that's something I can support. In addition to Papa John's racism. Shut up. <laughs> the power comes back on. Power, thank God. You know, this whole soulmate thing is very weird. My cousin had this weird thing to happen to her and her soulmate, like a glitch or something. Grace gets a phone call. Oh, hold on. Hello? Oh yes, he's here. Uh, it's AAA. Hello? Yes, this is him. Yep. Okay, awesome, great. Thank you so much, see you soon. He hangs up and gives the phone back to Grace. Are they here? Yeah, they are. He gathers his things and puts his jacket back on. Well, it was nice to meet you, Gabe. It was great meeting you, Grace. Uh, you still down for some coffee? Wait, uh, you were saying something about your cousin and the system? Oh, yeah. Uh, she had a weird encounter with a man that became her soulmate. They met in Cleveland and hit it off that night, but she had that current day and the dude had the next day. Uh, she had a different date than him by a single day, so she thought she didn't find her soulmate. But the thing is that he was born in Cleveland and she was born in Chicago, so when they met, it was still the same day in Chicago, but the next day in Cleveland. So her one night stand became her husband. Isn't that so weird? Grace has an epiphany and goes to sit down. Like, so weird, right? I think so. 
You're from Illinois, right? I moved here when I was two. I was born in Reno, Nevada. Wait, so Yep. I'm gonna go. Yep. I guess we're gonna get that coffee, huh? Looks like we are, pizza guy. End of play. Lovely. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> Thank you, Jamie. That was lovely. So sweet. Right. It's a cute play. It is so cute. And like, just, I don't know, different. Yeah. I, I feel like that's the only like situation I can think of. Well, maybe not. But it's like so deliberate. Two people like very deliberately trying not to fall in love. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's so sweet. And very different, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I it was very cool to like actually hear it now because like I sent it to when I sent it to the play festival, like I was I had all the intentions of going to see it, but turns out I was in rehearsals for the tour and I like missed it and my mom and all my uncles and stuff went to see it and they like liked it a lot. And now I'm like, oh, this is great. I can like actually, actually know what it sounds like. So this is, I, I, I loved it. Thank you guys so much. Michael, what do you believe about this? <laughs> like, um, do you believe people are like destined for each other? Like, what is your, well, is like, there something of, of your belief in here? Or is this just creative you know, and exciting? I'm a big thing on like, speaking into existence and like everything happens for a reason and although you can like hope for something like there is always going to be something better for you out there something that was already promised something that was it was mm -hmm. going to happen and like although you like put your hopes into like this thing or like you put your hopes into this like concept or idea you are always going to end up you're always going to end up getting what you need and usually your heart is already set on like what you've already worked hard for, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, I think deep down that Grace knew, like, by doing what she was doing, she was gonna put herself into a, like a position of, you know, like, it was gonna be even harder for her now to like, to be in the dating world because everybody is already like destined to like find that person that they have on their wrist, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and so I feel like she was, I don't, I, I wanted like two people that like were opposites, first of all, that wanted the same thing, basically. Um, and find out how much, how many similarities they still have, you know, even though there are, even though they still are very different. Um, I don't know if that's like making any like. It makes so much sense. Like they both want this thing for different reasons, but the fact that they like, especially Grace, the fact that she avoids people all day is ex that, like, truth about her personality and her, like, self is what allows her to meet the person that she's supposed to be with. Like, being, she's being true to herself. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. this is her value. So she's, like, really being her, doing her. And by following her values and being true to herself, like, she puts herself she doesn't even realize it but she's like putting herself exactly in the position that the universe or god or whatever is like wants her to be mm -hmm. you know for her path which is really interesting mm -hmm. i think that's a good message i think the truer we can be
the closer yeah. we'll get to our bed. <laughs> Reminds me of um, Frankie and Johnny, the Terrence McNally pit play. Mm-hmm. Um, the the one that Audra and Michael Shannon did this yeah. summer or last summer. It's like a but like the light, sweet, calm version. Yeah. Of something of that. But and but like in you know it's a you reach people much easier like better mm-hmm. than that one. I thought I feel it was gorgeous though. I love that. And I, my work usually falls into like this middle ground where it's not really like, well, like the ones that we're reading or some of the majority of them are going to be a little bit more on like the heavier side. But um, the majority of my work falls into this middle ground where it's not really technically comedy or it's not really technically like a tragedy. But this one, I was like, I really want to work on one thing. And that one thing is. Uh, Rom-com. Yes. And basically. it's perfect. <laughs> Michael, it's, 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 honestly, it's great as a 10-minute play, and it's totally got bones for a longer rom-com, too, I think. Having Michael Chen was, like, a, was honestly special. To be, I looked back while you guys were reading, and I was like, it's not specified what his race was, but how often do you see a Black woman and an Asian man together? Not that I, often. I'm sorry, I'm not sure if that's how you identify, but, yeah. um, but, you know, I think that, I mean, when I'm, re- when I'm watching it, I'm like, that's, Let's have a hat. Like, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. And Grace, you saying that makes me think of, um, I have a cousin, and I won't say her name, but she is famous. She's a singer. She's, her mother is half black and half Japanese. Her grandfather's Japanese. Her grandmother's black. And um, I do not know very many couples where that are black slash Asian or even South Southeast Asian. Mm. And that was something in my family that my family is very multicultural and racially mixed anyway. So it wasn't something that was in my head a lot growing up as being odd but then as I became an adult, I realized as I started looking at the world around me, especially with my cousins, that, I mean, I never, I, I very even now rarely see a couple where the woman is black and the man is Asian. Mm-hmm. I've seen many couples with um, white men and Asian women mm-hmm. or um, <laughs> white women with Asian men, but not very many black women with Asian men. Um, but yeah, I, I, I guess my point is that I would consider Michael Chen a person of color. Definitely. Oh yeah, most definitely. Michael, your girlfriend's mixed, right? Yep, she is. Um, we love Kiana. Going back to going back to that topic, I when Gina reached out to me um, about the play and if I had anybody in mind, and she's had reached out for friends or whatever. And I was actually like the first person that came to my mind, like immediately when I was like, "Wait, are you're still looking for somebody for thunderstorms?" Michael Chen, like, <laughs> like after working with like working with Michael, he was like, uh, "Our show that we were doing was like a young family <laughs> show," and he's so goofy and so like. And so, like, um, and I didn't so, like, tell you this, but you were actually supposed to do it as writer. Oh, <laughs> in Mandarin? Yeah, in Mandarin. 
she's so goofy and animated that um that like I was like that's exactly who who Gabe is you know like he's he's forward he's goofy and um and then like actually hearing Michael read it you forget that like after you like hung out with hung out with him like a long time he's a very like chill and reserved guy too so I was like this is great because he definitely brought those elements to Gabe which is also what I was wanting like full mm-hmm. spectrum of like like a good good um, four-dimensional character you know three-dimensional um, okay, <laughs> um but now that i think about it i was like it'll be perfect if i just like set set these characters in those colors you know because like imagine like seeing that representation you know seeing it over and over again that way um totally. oh so you're considering maybe saying like gabe should be played by an asian american or asian actor an asian american man you know what i mean you know um just because like Especially the proper way to refer to someone, I, I, I'm as an Asian American. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm, I was just, I'm, I'm not like, the one that very not sensitive about this. I'm yeah. just, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, no, 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 you're all good. Um, I was like, going in, like, you know, like a, a huge topic right now in, uh, the film world is how Asian men, and I guess, like, you know, well, just people of color in general are portrayed. And so, like, like the reason Crazy Rich Asians was such a big thing was because it was, it goes along with, I think, what you had in mind for this, with, like, people of color can play just regular roles. Like, yeah. for some reason, when it's not, I remember learning about this in college, we were having a talk about um, diversity and stuff, and it was like, if we don't have a specific race, for a character for some reason our default is white white. period it's yeah and how not okay that is and so it's cool when you see stuff like this and it's like the story has nothing to do with you know their racial background they're just human beings and i like i really like stuff like that because you know you don't want to be pigeonholed into this one thing because you know your race is only a small part of what makes you a person all right, this is Pleading by Michael Swain-Smith. A bare stage. There's maybe a very light fog on the ground, but there's definitely a table. One of those tables with the laced or weaved wire design with a hole at the center for an umbrella. It used to be red, but it's kind of rusty looking now, but still clean and not old looking. There's someone at the table. The lights snap up on a black girl sitting at the table with her head down. It's Mia. Our young lady is a bit worn out. Snap of light is first sterile and interrogation-like. We see her grunt and readjust before Mia jolts up, eyes wide open, looking around, wondering where and when she is. Then we are brought to a warmer, sun-like light. She's still very agitated before John enters. He's much older than her, beefy guy, well-built, Something's definitely wrong with him. We don't really know. In a way, distorted. He's in a loose-fitting shirt. His jeans look like they used to be nice. His shoes are nice, at least. A pinky ring, a loose watch, and a simple chain. Big brown paper bag in one of his hands and a cigarette in the other. After he enters, before he makes it to the table, he takes his final hit of the cigarette, throws it on the ground, and puts it out with his shoe. The bag is pretty full and hardly stapled. It has two takeout containers, two fortune cookies, a pair of chopsticks, a fork, and a few sauce packets. 
He brings the food to the table and then sits down and proceeds to open the bag and place the items out of the bag onto the table, starting to separate everything. As he does this, Mia is in a complete state of confusion, trying to understand who this man is and what he's doing. Um, thank you. Yep, you use chopsticks? I can, but I'd, I'd rather have a- Good, I'll give you the fork. Fuck, they only gave us one. It, it's fine. No, nah, no, nah, it's not. Uh, you asked for fried rice, right? Yeah, I guess. I don't really remember. Yeah. Sorry. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm just not sure. Must, must have slipped my mind. What else you get? Fried rice and uh, chicken and broccoli, right? I think so. That, that sounds good. Right. So they messed up my shit. I'll be right back. Don't move. Yes, sir. I'm serious, Mia. Not an inch, bitch. Mia nods as he proceeds to exit. Mia scrambles through the bag and table until she finds a fortune cookie and then opens it. Your lucky numbers are 1, 10, 900. What? You have inside of you all that you need to prevail. Use it wisely. The fuck? Mia lets out a big sigh, almost a slight scream, and then looks around her space a bit and then around the audience and looks back at the bag. She goes to the bag and looks for the other fortune cookie. She finds it and opens that one. It's not inside you. It's probably on this fortune. There are no lucky numbers for fortune stealers. You've got to be kidding me. She shuffles through the bag. Then finally, John re-enters with another bag with his new food and finds her under the table. What are you doing? And why aren't you eating? You said your dumbass was hungry, right? Sorry, I was just- Fucking around. Your ass was just fucking around doing some dumb shit. But what dumb shit is the question? And don't try to hide nothing from me because- You know, <laughs> you're not supposed to open these until the end of the meal, right? Like, when the meal is done, right? That's the whole thing, ain't it? You open both of them. You're a real dumbass, like a literal dumb- I'm not dumb. Yes, your stupid ass is. Now shut up and just sit there. Just stupid. No, I'm not. Don't you see I'm praying? Why would you? Just stupid. This is exactly why we don't do nothing and why I don't take your dumb ass nowhere. You just don't know how to act. I'm not stupid. Watch your tone. How do you keep finding me? Why, why won't you leave me alone? Who are you yelling at? Just... Let me leave, please. I just, I just really want to leave. So you can go where? And do what? I promise I won't tell anyone. Why would I believe a lying bitch like you? I've literally given you the moon and back, and all you want to do is scream and yell and pretend that every day you spend with me isn't the best fucking day of your fucking life. I treat you like fucking royalty. I feed you. I take you out when you behave. I don't do that for anyone else. You want me to let you go. You want me to let you run away and let the world know about how I don't treat you well, but I do. You want them to help you get rid of me. But baby, we won. We are part of the same team. I hate that I have to remind you, but you stuck with me, bitch. You made me and I treat you well, don't I? 
Don't I? Stop yelling, please. I asked your dumbass a question, didn't I? Yes. Yes. Is that what you want to hear? <laughs> I want to hear your dumbass choke and die. That's what I really want to hear from your ungrateful ass. Don't get smart with me again, bitch. Can we just eat, please? We? <laughs> you should be done since you opened the fucking cookies. They for the end of the meal, right? I didn't eat the cookies. I just opened them. Well, you might as well eat them now. Because you're not eating anything else I bought. You don't need to be eating anyway. You're starting to look kind of fat, to be honest. John proceeds to eat, kind of annoyingly, as in a way to make her jealous. I'm sorry. Okay, can I please have my food back? Oh, sure. He throws the broken fortune cookie at her face. I told you to eat those, dummy. He laughs at himself. Mia stares at him as he continues to eat. Can I please go then? I won't tell anyone. I just want to go. Please, I really just... Can you shut the fuck up? God damn it, I'm eating. She continues to stare at him in a bit of sadness and anger. What? I hate you. What did you just say? I fucking hate you. She throws or pushes whatever's on the table onto John. John shoots straight up and over to Mia's side of the table. She trembles as he approaches her. Now you really done fucked up. John pulls her head back her hair, by her hair to look her in her eyes. Listen here, you dumb. He begins to choke on some food left in his mouth. <coughs> he collapses onto the ground. Help me. Mia, now free, decides to help him. She goes behind him until he coughs it up to free his throat. Still over John, who's on the ground trying to breathe. Are you okay? <clears throat> yeah, no thanks to you. Fucking ruin my dinner. Mia immediately reaches for his necklace and proceeds to choke him with his necklace. John struggles and ad-libs for her to let him go until he faints, and she pushes him onto his face. Mia takes a second to think about what she just did, but she's finally free. Help me! Can anyone hear me? Hello, please! Mia, now on the other side of the stage of John, falls to the ground, screaming. She begins to hold back tears. John slowly sits up, obviously out of breath, tired, sits on the ground, probably leaning on something. Why do you think anyone can hear you? Shut up. Stupid bitch. You are not real. Oh, am I here? I can kill you. Then do it. Shut up, please. You can't get rid of me, baby. We'll just start again and again and again. No one gives a fuck about you but me. Please. Can you see me? Can, can you hear me? Help me, please. John slowly gets up and approaches Mia, who is now almost frozen. Why do you think I'm here? We're one, baby. He kisses her on the forehead. You ready to do this again? Go get some sleep. We can start over in the morning. He begins to slowly exit the stage. Mia, staring into the audience for a few beats until an almost a faint whisper directed to the audience. Help me. Please. The quickest, blackest, and darkest of blackouts. End of play. Thanks for doing that. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Good job, Shaq. Obviously, great job, Michael. 
weird to hear you like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not like, like oh, this is not the Michael I know <laughs> at all, <laughs> like at all. Um, um, for me, I I wanted to write a play that was um, that was a little bit different than things that I usually write. But right now, I'm still like so fresh with it at this moment that like literally all my plays are so different from each other mm -hmm. and i really enjoy that right now especially since i'm like picking out like what styles i actually like to write in this one it it was supposed to read very checkoffy in a way mm -hmm. um because like a lot of stuff happens but also nothing happens you know what i mean um and the sense that um you have to like in it I, I i do love you know unstaged uh you know there's something that sometimes you just have to see it too you know to like understand it a little bit better and um all my plays are going to be up on my website so anybody can read them especially since i've like had them read on here I'm, they're going to be on my website but i um i wanted to be able to delve into the topic of like uh not necessarily like uh, mental illness, but like just having those like anxieties and like those different things that you might go through, like depression or like angst and like, not angst, but like um, like social anxiety and stuff like that. Um, things that like for me, I know when they are coming, when like I know when I have made them more powerful than they needed to be. And that's what this play is mainly about. Um, uh, and not necessarily that like I have like, like you have the power to like stop everything, but like the power that, cause in the play he denies her the right to go get help. He denies her the right to, um, to feel, to feel, to not only be seen, but like wanna be seen in a way. Um, I don't know how to better describe it. Um, no, I think that makes so much sense. Cause I do think people are debilitated by their own experience, their mental experience to a point where people are always like, well, get therapy, get out, talk to people. And it's like, mm -hmm. the actual thing we're talking about is what's preventing me from doing that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then I like, and in this play personally, um, I wanted to like be specific, but also be a little bit more broad when I talk about what my, what Mia, what Mia is going through. And um, it's definitely like a P PTSD. And she's definitely dealing with, um, she, she has, so basically the play takes place in her mind, right. um, but it's her and, the, and this, this person that she's created. It's not necessarily the person who has um, offended her, I mean, or like the person that caused the trauma, but it's what she, you like, makes real in her mind. And so this is the thing that she like, has to constantly go through every day. And that's why like, at the end of the play, he's like, you ready to start over? You ready to go at it again? Cause like, no matter how much you deny me and how much you want to get rid of me, it's going to take a lot more than just you to like help, like get rid of me. And uh, yeah, I'm rambling now, but, like, <laughs> but yeah, it's like that. And it's, it was supposed to be scary. It's supposed to be, it's supposed to, and then like and throughout the play, like there was points where like she says certain lines to the audience. It's so, like she looks at the audience. She like makes connections with the audience because the audience, I wanted to make it seem like the audience was, I mean, obviously you're watching the play, but I want you to make, I wanted to feel like you are actually seeing what is going on in someone's mind, you know? Mm -hmm. And like they are reaching out for help, but they can't actually say it, you know? 
can you actually see them like pleading for help you know the fact that like there's no like the whole play takes place inside her mind there's no like instigating event that's outside of that's in her like physical actual life is what I think makes it so like relatable and universal and makes it so like like you were saying kind of like non not not as specific because like and that that sounds like a criticism and it's not like you know because we're always trying to be specific and it's specific into like what's actually happening in her head but I feel like it makes it so universal that we don't know like anything about her outside life you know I don't know I love that I love the way that it's just this snapshot when I when I first read it, um, I just thought that she was kidnapped. This was like when we were originally supposed to read it. I just thought that she was kidnapped when she was trying to leave. And then I read it again and again, and I was like, wait, is she like stuck in purgatory or or is this like a nightmare or something like that? But then as you were just talking, she's, she's battling well, with whatever mental illness or anxiety or depression or anything like that. And then I was like, well, all of this, now it all makes sense. Because at first I was like, this is giving me like waiting for Godot vibes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, like she has, I just feel like for her to be able to beat this, she has to, she has to be outside of herself or like, or see herself like on the outside, sort of like astro projecting a little bit, see herself and and try to figure out how she can sort of deal with this issue that she has because it's just going to be like a, a reoccurring thing unless, and like you were saying, how like <laughs> you're not, you're not going to go out and get help and all this stuff because of it. I think she just has to, it's going to take some time, but she has to, like, overcome and prevail, like the fortune cookie said. I totally agree with everything. Like, it's it's supposed to be, like, if I wanted to, it to feel like a purgatory, like, the first time you read it, like, the, like, the purgatory or, like, the, um, of, like, her being trapped. Um, in a way, she's, like, kind of reliving, reliving what she actually went through, but in this, retelling in her mind of how it how it is and like what she's actually dealing with now because technically all the, the situation that happened with her is over right. but she is reliving the situation and kind of you know like even though it's over and even though it's done you still have to battle like the things that are actually going on in your mind to like actually get over it and like actually move well not get over it but like move move forward from it you know mm -hmm in a way because technically it's really hard to ever get over something but like you yeah. you, you have to you have to just keep moving you know and i wanted it to be confusing i wanted it to be like kind of like what did i just watch or not necessarily what did i just watch like obviously you know it's about like i wanted it to be obvious that it was about like um battling your own like personal like mental battles yeah or your own like personal mental struggles but i wanted it to be like wow like what am I seeing like why why is this happening like especially like when he comes back to life or whatever you know mm -hmm. um I would <laughs> be like oh she's trapped mm -hmm. like there's in the way like the man plays it off at the end it's supposed to be like kind of like a little bit playful in a way that's like oh this is a game to him like 
she's not having fun, but he he knows his job and he is trying to do his job well, basically. And that's supposed to make it kind of scary, I guess. There's Your like dialogue is so natural, Michael. Like, <laughs> it's it so natural. Yeah. It's like... I love, like, listening to people. And, um, and I also love conversations, so I love dialogue. But when I was growing up, I was quiet, so I, like, got to hear, like, the way people talk. And that's, like, one of the, the harder things about playwriting, too, is, like, understanding that, like, like you are literally talking to yourself at this computer like for hours <laughs> I think. And, that's why um, i can't do it <laughs> and you literally will go crazy like if if you don't like take a break especially like when i'm like working on like my longer pieces like i'm like i have to have somebody read this but i'm also scared to have somebody read this um right. even though i was reading it i would love to like have somebody else like do it but like even like having like uh Shaq be able to read with me it was just like dialogue is scary basically <laughs> is what I'm trying to say in that like now like hearing it is like making it even better for me to like continue to like okay this works like everything it, it sounds good so that's a great note for me as a player I wanted to make sure that like usually I leave the, the race or ethnicity open for certain characters and I did that for um I did that for John, but I didn't do that for Mia, uh, just because I feel like um, we don't ever get the chance to see um, African-American or Black women get yeah. to uh, talk about their mental struggles on stage, right. other than, uh, my husband left me, or uh, my son just <laughs> died, yeah. uh, um, my niece just got shot, you know what I mean? So like, other than like, traumatic traumatic stuff you don't ever get to see like them like dealing with like the aftermath of like trying to move forward from something so i i wanted to make sure i highlighted that too so i just wanted to make sure that got included yes absolutely <laughs> this is brighter by michael swain smith lights up on an almost empty bare looking stage there is a door for an exit upstage left and right the doors are continually left open throughout the whole play with light seeping through them the stage has a chair and a desk set up like a home office of some sort. On that desk, far downstage left, is a desk lamp, a candle, a stack of books, a cup filled with pens and utensils, and a clock. Upstage left, raised up about four or five feet, is a couch, and on that couch is a journal and a pen. Next to the couch is a side table with a laptop and a lamp on it. Rachel enters from the upstage left door and goes through the home office and opens the drawer grabs a candle and runs back out through the same door. Mama enters from the upstage left door after Rachel completely exits. She comes down to the desk with a letter in her hand. She grabs a letter opener from the cup and opens the letter. She takes the letter out and Rachel walks in from stage right door and comes and sits on the couch, sets the candle down, grabs the notepad and begins to write. Mama begins to read. <sighs> Dear Mama, I usually write you from within the house. It was my favorite thing to do ever since I was young. But by the time you will read this, I'll be gone. I'm sorry, Mama, but I left. I had to. I couldn't take it anymore. But I'm away. I'm free. I'm healing. It isn't your fault. 
I thought this would never happen, but I let it happen. I should have been strong, but I've been fighting this for years now. I had to, I had to get away or I would have been trapped. Trapped forever. Trapped in this hell forever. And I should clear this up. I love you so much. And when I tell you this, know that I was, it was not and will never be your fault. This was my problem and I had to fix. I had to set myself free. I needed to get away. I needed to heal. So I did. It all started with him just a few years ago. I was young and didn't see what was really going on in his head. It was all, it was all so weird, Mom. Especially the candles. They, they were a signal. I was afraid of them. I thought he just had an unusual infatuation with them. But they were a part of it. He would, he would light one and ease his way into my room. He's, he said he loved me. He said it was our secret. He said it would all be okay. But he used me. He was a great man when you married him. But this is not the same man that promised to be the best father figure he could be. He said he would protect me. He was telling me lies. He used, he used to, be to be everything, everything to me. He put his hands on me. He told me to let him do what he needed to do. I thought it was only once. But it became a routine and disgusting and hurtful, stressful. I became an item, a toy, a piece of shit, but it became too much. I was tired and disgusted and sick of that damn candle. Mom, I promise I am better. I hated myself for a long time because of what he did. But I learned to love myself again. To, to be free again. I know you, and it's not your fault, Mom. This was something I needed to do from the beginning. I'm safe now. I'm with Nana now and told her not to tell you, but she insisted I tell you sooner than later. So here we are. Please know that I love you. I love you so much, Mama. I'll be in touch soon. I gotta run. I gotta run. Rachel exits through her door with my whole heart, Rachel. Mama takes a minute to gather it all in, walks to stage right until she sits in front of Rachel's couch and faces the bed, 
and raises her head to the couch and slowly turns away and walks back to the desk. Lights go down and she turns away. Lights up. Rachel enters again with a letter sent from her mom. She takes her finger and opens the letter. As she opens the letter, Mama sits and begins to write. Hey, my little girl. <laughs> Sorry, my young woman. The house is so different without you. It's funny because it feels like it's no longer here without you. Something you could actually say now. It's, it's very sad but an accident happened a few weeks that you were away. That letter you wrote had valuable information in it, and it reminded me of why I love you so much. It reminded me that I would give my life for you. I would give up anything for you. I told myself lies about him but I always suspected something would happen. We met when I was extremely vulnerable. I loved him blindly. He always said he loved me. Always said he'd never do me wrong. But I could never say no to him. I let him use me too. I could never say no to him. Not even at the altar. I feel in love with him because he seemed to love you as much as he loved me. I never thought of divorcing him because he loved you. And I thought you love him too. After your father died, getting remarried seemed like the right thing to do for the both of us. He soon forgot how to love me. It was always about intimacy with him. But soon, sex became the only thing. He loved me for what I gave him. And I loved him for helping me grieve, but I was done grieving. But he wasn't done with me. I don't know why I remarried, but I know that marrying him was a mistake. I never had what you had to up and leave even though I was sick of living with him. I was sick of living there. I was sick, I was sick of those candles. those candles. Every time. But there was one night where he got up and left the room with a candle, but it wasn't for me. He left the room drunk and walked into your room. I thought he was just checking on you, but after an hour went past, I got up and walked out, and just as he closed the door to your room and blew out his candle, I knew what he had done. I didn't want to believe it. I didn't know what to do, but I knew it had to stop. We both had to be free. So, when you left, a few weeks went past and the lights went out somehow one night in the house. He yelled at me to go see about it. We began to argue. 
he put his hands on me and went away to find the power box, tears racing down my face. I had a hard time seeing, so I lit every candle I found in the same in the house on my way. And one by one, I knocked every one of them over and finally found my way out. And I left the house that night and never came back. The house had never been that bright. How can you help someone like that? He should have known what he put you through. He should have known what he put me through. He should have done what he vowed to me. But I guess he should have seen this coming. I, I guess I'm free now. I guess I lost a friend, but gained some freedom. I'm finding myself now. I'll need some time, but I'll be around to visit soon. I can't wait to see where we go from here together as a team, a real family. Whatever comes from this, I'll be ready. I miss you so much. I gotta run now. With my whole heart, Mama. Mama goes out the stage left door and Rachel gets up and moves towards Mama's desk and stares at it as it is empty now. Mama, as Rachel is looking down to where she used to be, enters through the stage right door and comes to the opposite side of the couch. Hey, my love. Rachel turns around and sees her mother and they embrace in the middle. I love you so much. I had no clue. We don't even need to talk about it. I'm glad you're here with me. We never needed him. We're going to be fine. And I have you to thank for that. And the candles. <laughs> they laugh and embrace again. And the lights fade. End of play. Ah. Thank you for going through that for me. <laughs> oh, that was Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Grace. Michael, I just have to say, when I read this, that was, oh my goodness, I, I, I had no words. I was so, I was so sad. I mean, this is really powerful. Thank you. And, um, I mean, it was brilliant. And thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to do it. Thank you for reading. I loved it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's so significant. Like the light and mm -hmm. just that it's brighter. Like that is just so like their relationship is so redemptive and so like it's so true like that relationship between a mother and a daughter can be so healing you know i, I, I think, think 
sorry. No, no, I was just going to say, I think that was probably the best thing about this piece is that it's so dark in the beginning, it's mm -hmm. so heavy, and it's, just, it's like a sunrise because it goes from being so dark and it just gets brighter and brighter and brighter. <laughs> That's what and that, that kind of, yeah, that's what I was like kind of aiming for in a way. Um, yeah. I think, sorry, but I think what's interesting about this play um, is the use of the candle, just in general, how it was a symbol for her for so long of something that was negative. Um, and candles are often supposed to bring light, um, but they were so dark for her for so long. And then, you know, using the candle to kind of make everything right again was just such a beautiful beautiful thing because you know um oftentimes you know there are people that go through those things of abuse they have that one thing that's just like very triggering for them and to take that and to turn it around and make it the source of freedom for them I think is really powerful and it's such a beautiful thing so well and I think they both did that because the mother mama used that candle as a tool mm -hmm. to escape and so it kind of ignited their relationship i think that that burning and like you said jamie then it became not a symbol of darkness anymore and it was something that they i, I imagine would both be able to share as how they were able to, to get through that situation and then come together and heal their relationship as mother and daughter. I can't imagine being in that position as a mother with a son. Um, you know, I don't know if that, I mean, I guess my relationship with my mother was close. And I think my relationship with my son is very, very close, but I can't imagine being a mother to a daughter and having to feel those feelings of not being able to protect her and not being able to keep her from being violated that way. And I can only imagine how heavy that burden would be to carry that, especially when she, you get it in a letter. It's like a, you know, a text message breakup or something like that. And you can't, physically embrace mm -hmm. that person but it you know it, it was Michael again it ugh, just so powerful it's so easy for plays about subjects like this to just like really wallow in darkness and mm -hmm. I think a lot of times we get really tired of going to like contemporary theater that's very topical because it just like feels heavy going in and feels heavy going out and there's like no resolution and I understand playwrights intention in showing like hey a lot of times there's not resolution in the real world and you know that's a valuable story for sure but having the uh, what's the word I want to say almost like the faith to tell a story that does have like redemption and wholeness in it is really admirable I feel because it's 
such an easy trap to be like, I just want catharsis. I just want to get people feeling a certain way. And, you know, you could have ended this without that coming back full circle, coming back together. Like, and people would still be like, whoa, that was really moving. That really impacted me. Like that made me feel because we're already feeling a lot like in the beginning of the play, you know, but being, having the faith and having the like, I don't know, imagination, I guess, to just like really bring it all the way around is so, I, I think it's, it, it's really healing. Like you're offering audiences something really uplifting, even though it's dark. And like, that's, that's a really important story. Like it can be nitty gritty. It can be dirty. It can be hard. It can be rough and it can still be like whole and beautiful and good at the end of the day, you know? Well, I used to be, especially for the past like four years after I wrote it, I used to be very scared to go back to the play um, uh, just because I, I wasn't truly confident in what I had wrote and this and the other and just like, I didn't know if I handled it well. I mean, I, I people in the class like told me they like liked it and stuff and there were like a bunch of beautiful plays that we put on or whatever. But I was just like, I had two females um, that, two beautiful women that had to go through this for like just like 10 minutes of like our 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 hour and a half final you know what I mean and we had a couple rehearsals and it just I don't I didn't want them I didn't want to put them through like that much but like when I like was writing the play I had I had the things that I wanted and like it just everything just kept writing and like I just kept typing and typing and typing until like I finished it and I read it and I was like I don't do they will they feel like what what right does he have to talk about this um and for me I had to go back into like how I was raised and everything and um and although I had like uncles and like my father and everything my grandmother and my mother were constant were constant like examples of how I should live, how I should, how I should be like a, like this ideal human being. Um, and they, and not necessarily these are their situations, there is not at all, but like seeing like the hardships that they went through gave me like the idea of like, okay, I may not, not sure how to be like a black mom or I may not sure not how to be a mom in general, but um, I can, I see like, everything that they've been through and I would like to put it into put it into practice but you saw you saw the love between them you saw yeah. how they supported each other and if you ask me the strongest part of this whole piece is that Rachel immediately says it's not your fault like yeah. I, so important yeah and I'm not a pessimist I like to think I'm you know a, a positive person but it would be it's so easy for anyone to be like you married him it's your fault you saw him go into my room. Why didn't you say anything? Mm -hmm. you know? Why didn't you do anything? You let me sit like that. And she immediately is like, I love you. Like, come bit, like, see me. I can't wait to, like, to see them. I have chills. To see them embrace on, on stage would be like, I mean, it, it would blow. It would it just, it's, blow your mind. Yeah. it just, it's how we should see society, how people should see each other and, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. So the love that you saw between your own mother and your own grandmother radiates so beautifully in your in your art. 
And you know what I read, because I know you, Michael, and I know a little bit of your story. And when I read this, I heard, wow, he really knows what it is like for women who are not bound together by a man. Like, (laughs) period. Like, you know, like, honestly, like strong women who are a family together, who are not, that's not you know what I mean? Like, that's not the point. Like, that's not the center. That's not the solar sun. Like, that's not the center point of the family. And and you've seen a healthy dynamic where that's the case. Angry black women, like, you know, it's not, I'll say that for you, Jenna. It's not, say it. (laughs) Black women, you know, tossing, get out of my house. Like, no, no. Yeah. I I really wanted the main thing I really wanted from this play, at least, is to broadcast the fact that, like, it, they know each other. Like, the mom and the daughter know each other. They understand each other. They've been through stuff. Like, I mentioned in the play that the father had, the, like, her original married father has passed away. That is, like, the, for me, that is the biggest point of the play because they have went through, like, loving this one man that was ideal, that was perfect, that was, like, the perfect, like, seal for their family like their family was ideal their family was everything um to losing him to relying on just each other and then um the mother feeling the need to like fill the void and in seeing that maybe also the daughter also needed to fill the void too and realizing that it that they didn't need anybody to fill the void it was just them that they needed i think that telling the truth really does i mean like i know people say like bring it to light like this is it's this like you know cliche but like I think this is a really great 10 minute illustration of how truth and just speaking the truth just telling the truth can create light the truth will set you free truly um sorry I have one more point you have mentioned um like sorry to keep talking but um you have mentioned like the lighter ending at um a little bit earlier yeah. Um, the thing that drew me to that is that I, I, in my plays, I specify that I would like for my characters to be people of color. Um, and if you can, if they can be black people, that'd be cool. You know, it'd be great. Um, just to give out more opportunities. I use, especially like the past year, I have been going through like a lot with like watching film and TV and not only just film and TV, but like some theater shows too. You see a lot of you see a lot of these stories where they end and it it's not good. Like they end in a situation where it's like, okay, like if this man was white, he would have had he would have made it all the way through, and he would have like he would have gotten he would have gotten the award right out at the end of the movie. And sure, like there's hardships for people of color. There's hardships that like you know you have to go through, and maybe maybe you have to like go over and over and over again until you win. But it's supposed to be suspended reality anyway. And like theater is supposed to be something that is supposed to give you hope. And yes, you're not, it, it doesn't always have to be a, a happy ending at every, at, at the end of every play. But at the end of my work, I would like <laughs> if we see more people of color winning at the end happy of Happy ending. And like, if, if you're just representing that bad, that sad, tragic ending every time, like, is that, like, I don't know, that maybe this is like overreacting, you guys tell me, but like, 
does that seem like it could just be playing into this like cycle of oppression and this like subconscious like narrative? Yeah, absolutely. To make it absolutely. real. Yeah. 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 No, I think that if you had it end darker, people, generally most people would not think twice about that ending. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think people who are, um, again, from my generation and older would see this ending as like a blow away moment. Like, wow, that's so, that's so great that it, that this had a happy ending. I think the people that are younger guys like you, um, probably would see beyond that. That that wouldn't be your immediate go-to as, okay, wow, that's so refreshing to see it. It would just be like, it's a, it's a, it doesn't matter um, that people, what am I really trying to say? You're seeing it from a point of view as these people are just people, not black people. Mm-hmm. Is that, does that make sense? Yeah, because yeah. you would have walked away going, it's just another sad play, like boo-hoo right. for, the, for the black people, right. you know? Right. This was, it ends on that, it makes you, it makes you think, which is what we all want from any production that you go and pay money for, exactly. you know, to go see as artists. That's, you just want to feel something. That's why more stuff like this needs to be in seasons because how many times do you turn around and you see the token black play in a season at a theater and it's like this sad over slave play was good, huh? What'd you say? A slave play was good. Good plays. I'm not saying they're not good plays. I'm saying like when people are building seasons, it's like this. It's just something again. And it's if there's stuff like this where there's a like. You know, it's dynamic. Yeah. Like they're, it's dynamic. It's not so tokeny. Well, yeah. it's 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 one of those things. And and my Mikey, you touched on this earlier. It's just you know the whole idea of just the struggle is all you know people of color are allowed to portray, and we're so much more than that. Like yes, we do deal with that and we experience that, and those things are good to talk about. But like there is hope at the end of the struggle and we're not just the struggle in general like we should be mm-hmm. telling more stories that portray us in much more positive uh lights and and with positive endings and things like that because there are children out there that need to see that their life is more than this mm-hmm. um and it's just and not just in theater but in film and in books and in all types of art you know kids need to see that because they're the next generation that's coming up from this and they need to see that they are more than what you know society has has put on them to be so yeah. have you guys seen mudbound have you seen that movie on I netflix i haven't seen it i haven't seen yo it. it's such a good movie. mudbound it's about um two Mary families. got her oscar nomination yeah um it's about two families on like a farm town in mississippi like one family's white and one family's black and i think it's world war ii era Anyway, like it's Mississippi, so like everyone's super racist. But it like it has like it it looks seems like it's going in the way of like a really depressing ending, and then it ends up being really happy at the end. And it, like this whole conversation just reminded me of that. You guys cool. should see that. Sounds like it's worth watching. Mudbound. It's a really good movie. It's on cool. Netflix. This podcast. Yeah, it's a it's a Netflix original. Ooh, so awesome. It won't ever. What, be what else you guys should see? Um, 
is Watermelon Man, which okay. is a movie from 1971 or two. Yeah. Okay. Is that the whole teaser that we get? <laughs> Um, I will tell I will tell you this. It is about, um, again, it was, I think 71 or 72. Mm -hmm. It's about a white man who's an executive and he is, he, he, um, he and his wife are middle-class, um, seventies white family with a boy and a girl and um, there are no black people in their neighborhoods. He goes to the office, you know, he's very misogynistic. He always is hitting on the secretary who's Swedish. Um, and this is happening at, during the time in, um, they had just had the, the riots in, in Watts. And so he and his wife are discussing this. And he wakes up one morning and he's black. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say. The Wikipedia page. Yeah, I did too. I was like, don't spoil it for me. Yeah, I'm going to watch it. I won't. I don't want to spoil it for myself. <laughs> that sounds really cool, Leslie. That sounds like a really yeah. cool concept. You know, uh, Again, this is probably 70, between, I'll say 1971 and 1972. I don't think it's any later than that. Um, and when I was a child, my parents would go to the drive-in theater and it was usually a double feature. The first film was a G-rated movie for mm -hmm. kids. And the second film was um, something that was more for adults. And I just remember my parents would always say when the adult movie came on, go to sleep go to sleep you know we bring our blankets and our pillows in the car and they'd say okay it's time for bed and I as the oldest would always <laughs> like looking with one eye and not really understanding what I was seeing but this was one of the movies that stuck in my head because it was just like what just happened and I didn't understand anything else about it other than this person was this color and then he was this color and as an adult, I rented it from Blockbuster <laughs> and watched it. And it was just like, all these things hit me about what an impact and what a statement that film was making at that time. Yeah, and it's like crazy. Yeah. It, 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 was, it was just like, whoa. Let's just say this. Um, for its time, it was a really strong film in regard to race and politics. Yeah, that sounds really like, that's such a bold time to yeah. be. Yeah, wow. Well, there was, when you think about it, there was so much change going on there. Um, you know, when, especially for women, because it addresses all these things. Mm -hmm. For women, there was change. You know, let's not forget that Roe v. Wade, that case was began in 1969 and it was settled in 1973. Um, so long. So all of these things in society were shifting. Yeah. And the impact that it made on people like me, uh, 
now in retrospect, I kind of take for granted some of those things, especially as a female, because when I, when Roe v. Wade was settled, there was a TV show um, called Mod, which one of its spinoffs was Good Times. Um, so it was a Norman Lear show, but it was about a woman, a white woman and a man. The woman was very, you know, married to this guy. It was her second husband. She had an adult daughter with a son who lived with her. There was divorce. They were divorced. Um, Esther Roll from Good Times was their housekeeper, Florida. Um, they lived in upstate New York, and there was there were two episodes. It was a it was a two parter where now this woman Maud, played by B. Arthur, she was um, in her early fifties. And one of the episodes dealt with the fact that she came, she went to the doctor and found out that she was pregnant. Now, again, she had an adult daughter living with her with a child and she was in her, she was like 51, 52. A very, very controversial subject at that time. I mean, there were, there were stations that wouldn't air it. You can watch it on the YouTube if you want. Um, but when you think about it, at that time, Roe v. Wade was settled, but it wasn't in every state. Mm -hmm. So when that episode aired, that's one of the reasons why it was so controversial, because Maude happened to live in New York State, and that was one of the states where it was legal to get an abortion. And can you imagine what it would be like? Because when you think about it, women have been having abortions for thousands Forever. of years. For thousands of years. Just um, not these ones. How would, I mean, as a woman who is 55 years old, yeah. during the time we're in now, when people are working at home and trying to educate their children at the same time from home, or have children who are not even in school yet, can you imagine what it would be like to unexpectedly, especially if you were in your 50s and you had adult children, find out that you were pregnant? What do you do? You do, you know, but before Roe v. Wade, you wouldn't have a choice. And I'm not trying to get political, I'm sorry. But I, I guess my point is, is just when you reflect on stories and plays and films that were done at a certain period of time and you see flash forward and you can see how things are cha have changed and how they're different, mm -hmm. you really begin to get, a, you know, to appreciate some of those changes. Mm -hmm. um, and, so, you know, what's interesting is that now we take for granted that there's so many things that just discuss all of these things and they're just out there and you can see them and whatever but you know gosh in the 70s 50 years ago is that right for reals 50 okay. yeah 50 years ago 1970 i guess so because i was born before then and i'm over 50 um but yeah that is something you know again when you think of that time all of these things in society were changing. Um, you know, we had the Vietnam War. Before that, we had the Korean War. Before that, we had World War II. And each subsequent generation went through this cycle. And something societal 
that made a huge impact change after each one of those wars. And I remember, again, um, 72 maybe, the whole Nixon scandal. I didn't really understand it, but again, it was such big news at the time. My parents were talking about it and adults adults are talking about it you know and it's like when you're a kid and well, that's you know the, the grown-ups are talking about something yeah. that you're not supposed to hear but you want to know about it and you don't really understand mm -hmm. that's kind of what it was like so flash forward to now it's like wow i was around there around at that time and didn't yeah. even realize the impact that it was making on the grown-ups around me and on you and on your whole future well that's that that's the thing that's interesting is that um when all of these things again when they were when people talk about roe v wade and and the supreme court and you know yada yada i began to remember oh wait there was this thing oh wait there was this thing and then again i i do the the interwebs and I do the research and I look back because I remember and I reflect on it, but from the only memory I have is seeing it as a kid and not realizing at the time what an impact it was making on the world around me. Now I'm a grown up and now it's like these changes allowed me to do certain things or be a certain person or become a certain person that if they hadn't happened, I wouldn't be in the same place. Thanks so much to Michael for sharing this awesome work with us and allowing us to produce it here on the podcast. Be sure to visit his website if you're interested in reading his work or producing some of it for yourself. Thanks again to all of the actors for their awesome performances. It was beautiful. I really enjoyed it. And thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with your friends. And if you're interested in getting involved, don't be afraid to reach out. Thanks so much. Quick trigger warning. These plays include some instances of childhood and domestic sexual abuse and violence. So please be warned before you listen. <laughs>